I want to start with a word of prayer, obviously, and then I'd like you to open with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, if you would. Let's go before the throne of grace and once again pray that God will richly bless us in our time in His Word today. Our Father and our God, what a marvelous thing, the hope that we have in Christ. Father, there's a world out there that we have the answer to their need and they're not even interested. You can share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of eternal life, the gracious gift of God, and yet people turn and walk away. But Father, we know that God, the Holy Spirit's at work, and sometimes those seeds that we scatter on the soil of life are going to take root, and they're going to have an effect in the lives of those people. How thankful we are for those who shared the gospel with us. I can remember those who made the gospel clear to me even before I understood it, before it had any meaning to me at all. And yet, Father, they were planting seeds that were going to bear fruit to eternal life. I thank you for each and every one that's come here this morning. I thank you not only for what their life represents in your perfect plan, but I thank you for their willingness to take time from a busy life and a busy schedule. We all have many demands in the time we're living in. But Father, the issue is always what do we make a priority? And our priority today is to be here and to gather together around the banquet table of your grace and to feast on the bread of life. So Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you will speak to us that you will teach us, instruct us, change us, transform us into the image of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, back in the days of John Wesley, when he was compassing England from end to end on horseback, preaching the word, some of the other preachers that didn't draw the kind of crowds that he drew pulled him aside and said, Mr. Wesley, what is your secret? What is it that draws people to hear you? He said, I can't really tell you any secret. He said, all I know is I light myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. And so I'm going to trust that the Spirit will light me on fire this morning. And you can join me as the Word burns its way into our life. I want to give you a summary of the book of Romans. As I mentioned, I fell in love with Romans when I was just a new Bible college student. And uh, I've been studying the book for over 50 years, probably 53 years. I haven't even scratched the surface. Every time I go through the book, every time I study it, I see more and more of the things that I'd never seen before. But sometimes it's good to take everything that we have and just reduce it down into something very simple. And I want to reduce the book of Romans down into five verses for you from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from ruin, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, 
so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now you may say, how is that a summary of the book of Romans? Well, here it is. In verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities, that's Romans chapters 1 through 3, dealing with condemnation and the solution to condemnation, which is the gospel. The last part of verse 3, who heals all your diseases, chapters 4 and 5, getting into the area of justification and how we are to live by faith, who redeems your life from destruction or ruin, Chapters 6 through 7, we talk about sanctification. You know, a life that is not sanctified by the Word of God and the Spirit of God is a life that's going to ruin. God will redeem your life from ruin. So chapters 6 and 7. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. That's chapters 8 through 11, and we're going to get into that in a little bit here this morning. And then verse 5, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And that will take us from chapter 12 through chapter 16. You can really break the book of Romans down by these five little words that I've put up here on the the board. And uh, there's 50-some years of work in that little outline. In fact, I've found that there's not any issue in Scripture, any passage, any doctrine that I go into that I cannot relate somehow to these five words. And as I said last night, I came up with these in a village in Africa because I wanted a way to communicate to them in terms that they understood. You know, I've been to Africa so many times, I can't count 20-some times, and uh, went to Africa one time and uh, heard about a guy that had come, Dr. So-and-so, brilliant uh, theologian had come and their uh, huge crowd of people had come to hear him and they'd sat and listened to the words roll off this guy's tongue and he, he got finished and there was an old African pastor that walked up to him and he said, you know, I didn't understand a word you said, but he said, I'm just glad we got somebody as smart as you are on our side. Well, it doesn't do any good if you don't understand what's being said. We have to communicate to people in their language. We have to communicate to people in their culture in terms that they understand. And so these were terms that these people would understand because they're things that, as I said last night, we do these every day for our body. We wash, we eat, we walk, we work, and we rest. And in the washing department, 1 John 1.9, we talked about confession last night, the importance of examining ourselves and confessing our sins, receiving that moment-by-moment forgiveness and cleansing. You might remember it was the first lesson Jesus taught the disciples in the upper room. As a matter of fact, if you go through the message of Jesus, the upper room discourse, you'll find wash, eat, walk, work, rest. But I won't spend time on that. John 13, 10, Jesus said, He who is washed needs only to wash his feet. He who is bathed, needs only to wash his feet. And there he is talking about two of the three kinds of cleansing that God provides for us in the Christian life. Our ultimate salvation, beginning by faith in Christ, and then, of course, foot washing, which is analogous to confession. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21, that in a great house there are many different kinds of vessels, vessels of gold and silver, vessels of wood and clay. 
Some are vessels of honor. Some are vessels of dishonor. Then he lays the responsibility on each and every one of us. If any man cleanse himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor fit for the master's use. So washing is extremely important in the spiritual life and something we need to think about every day. Eating is very important. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. They're in Matthew 4.4. 4. Psalm 34, verse 8, an invitation both to the unbeliever and to the believer, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I wonder if you have tasted this morning that the Lord is good. I wonder if you have a sour taste in your mouth. I wonder if maybe life doesn't taste very good to you right now. If that's the case, there is a solution for it. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. And how do we do that? We get into His Word and we feed on His Word. John chapter 6. As a little child, I heard the story of the little boy that brought the five loaves and the two fishes. I remember as a little kid in Sunday school class thinking, wouldn't it have been wonderful to have been that boy? If only I could have been that little boy and been there with Jesus and been the one to offer the five little loaves and the two fishes. And of course, we always emphasize so much the greatness of the miracle and how Jesus broke the bread and the fishes and fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, probably over 10,000 people together in that place. And rightly so, we, we put the focus on the Lord Jesus. But you know, there was a little boy that gave what he had to offer. And a lot of times we think to ourselves, what do I have to offer? Well, you'll never know until you give it to the Lord and let Him break it. And by the way, when you and I surrender to Him, He has a plan that's going to include breaking. There are going to be times that we're going to be crushed. There are times that we are going to be broken. We're going to be wounded. And all of those times are times when God is working in our life. Every wound God allows in your life as a child of God is designed for your healing. It's designed to multiply you and make you even greater in the hands of God. So we feed on the Word of God and then we learn to walk. And as we mentioned last night, 1 John 1.7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. That's the third kind of cleansing, the cleansing of obedience that we need. And then as I think of walking, I think of Luke 24 and verse 27 as Jesus after the day after the resurrection or the day of the resurrection and the two disciples were walking on their way on the road to Emmaus. You know, it was about a seven-mile uh, journey there uh, as they're going along and Jesus joined them. And uh, it says their eyes were holden that they did not see Him. And sometimes you and I end up in the same condition when we get burdened and overweighted with the problems of life and the Lord's right there and we don't even see Him. And I love this particular verse when it says, then He opened their eyes to the Scriptures. And He began to explain to them everything that was written about Him throughout the entire Old Testament. That's one class I would like to have been at. Galatians 5.16 tells us something that we're going to learn this morning in Romans 8. And that is, it's impossible for us to walk the walk unless we walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We all have a work to do. I mentioned that last night, Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship, His craftsmanship. 
His masterpiece, if you will, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You might study Ruth chapter 2. Next weekend I'll be doing a conference in Kansas on the book of Ruth, the romance of redemption, the hidden gospel in the book of Ruth. Uh, it's a, such a beautiful story, but there in Ruth chapter 2, what is she doing? She's gleaning in the fields of Boaz. She is working in the fields and she is reaping more than she had any right to expect because she ended up at the right place at the right time doing the right thing and being in line with God's plan is always so important. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, we then are workers together with Him. When God puts us to work, it's His work. He has the work to do. We simply join in with Him. And as we'll find out here in a few minutes in Ephesians or in uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, it's always a teamwork. But He always does the work. We really are just allowed to participate a little bit in that work. Finally, we come to the rest. At the end of the day, the work is done. It's time to lay down our head and rest. And I love the fact that in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I take that to be the rest of salvation. But He doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, Take my yoke upon you, the idea of work again, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest. Remember, I talked about peace with God. We have peace with God but we also ought to let us have peace with God, live in peace with God. And it's kind of the same with what Jesus is saying there in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. When you come to me, I'll give you the rest of salvation. But if you want to find the rest for your soul, you're going to have to take the yoke on and work with me and you will find rest for your souls. Romans chapter 16 really ends the book. Uh, with a beautiful doxology, a praise to God for all of His grace, and it is expressing the rest that we have in Him. I'd like you to just turn back with me now to the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, where Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of your Bibles stop at that point? Raise your hand if your Bible stops, if the verse stops at that point. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Anybody? All of you have the other one? Maybe a couple of you have that one? My version reads, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So apparently that's the text that most of you have. This is one of the second great controversies in the book of Romans. Again, I agree with Dr. Randolph Yeager. By the way, Dr. Randolph Yeager went through the entire New Testament and analyzed every single Greek word and then put it together in a set of volumes. I forget how many there are, 17, 18, 19 volumes. I happen to have those volumes thanks to the grace of uh, someone who gifted them to me. 
And uh, Dr. Randolph Yeager is just so brilliant in so many things that he talks about. But one of the things he said was, whether you have the period at the end of those who are in Christ Jesus, or whether you have the addition who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, both are true. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. All condemnation has been removed. Your condemnation was placed on Jesus Christ. Positionally, we understand that. It's important that we distinguish between our position and our practice. Let me just illustrate for us here in a minute. How important is position? I can illustrate it by 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Here's the cross. Here's the man outside of Christ. That man outside of Christ... Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, is in Adam. What happens to all who are in Adam? In Adam all die. We've already seen that in Romans chapter 1 through 3. Condemnation. The wrath of God is re revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then he goes through those chapters and talks about what it means to be spiritually dead. Born, spirit, born physically alive, but spiritually dead. We're among the walking dead. Everywhere we go, we are walking among people who are dead. People who are in Adam. But, with a simple act of childlike faith, what a transition is made in Christ, all are made alive. Position. How important is position? So important. In Christ, we have peace. In Christ, we have, and I'm just going to abbreviate, no condemnation. But isn't it true that as you move on in your Christian life, and it's not a straight and easy glide, it usually goes something like this, as you follow that path from the cross to the crown, there are times we feel condemnation, don't we? We feel the condemnation of our own conscience. We sometimes feel the condemnation of other people. Sometimes the condemnation of Scripture as we come under conviction when we hear a passage of Scripture and we feel that condemnation. We know that we have the righteousness of Christ. We know that in our standing, we have peace with God, but we're not at peace with God. And we feel condemned. And so Paul here in Romans chapter 8 is beginning to move us out of the washing phase, which we looked at in the first three chapters, and the eating phase, which I would really relate to chapter 4 and 5, where he's using the example of Abraham and David, uh, and teaching us some lessons about the spiritual life, and he's now moving into the walking phase. And in the walking phase of life, we need to understand how do we walk the walk? It's easy to talk the talk. It's hard to walk the walk. How do we walk the walk? And I want to tell you something that I think is a great... I guess I could use the word curse in our churches. People are not taught how to walk. They're told to walk. You know, when you have a 
newborn little baby, you could stand there until you're blue in the face yelling at that kid and saying, get up and walk. It's not going to help. We tell Christians we need sanctified Christians. I can remember as a young Christian hearing many of these messages. We need Christians that are holy. We need Christians that are walking and living the Christian life. You know what I never heard? How? How do I do it? I want to do it. And here's what happens. When we hear this is what we need to be doing, this is what we ought to be doing, this is the kind of believer that we want to have, what's the normal response of a person who truly desires to live for God? We're going to try to do it, aren't we? You know what's going to happen when we try to do it? We're going to fail. And why are we going to fail? Well, Paul's going to tell us in Romans chapter 8, we're walking according to the flesh. We're trying to meet a divine standard with human strength. We're trying to measure up to a perfect scale with an imperfect source of power. And therefore, we have to learn, what do I have in Christ? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are right there. Do you know what happened the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior? You say, yeah, I got saved. I was transferred out of Adam into Christ. I went out of death and into life. Those are all wonderful things to know, but what are the resources that you have? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is what? Christ Jesus. And therefore we build on that foundation. What are we going to build on? Well, we can't build until we understand the foundation. Could I give you five things that happened the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior? I'm going to just roll this over a little. Regeneration, justification, salvation, however we want to describe it, is a work of God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God takes the work of Jesus Christ and applies it to you and I at the moment that we believe. And here are the five things that I think give us a foundation to build on. Number one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'll abbreviate. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in, I'll write these down for you, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. By one Spirit are we all... Come on now, you guys are good Bible students. Baptized into one body. You remember I mentioned last night how much we fight as Christians over disagreements that we have. I read people all the time that I disagree with. I know people that won't read a book, they don't agree with everything that's in the book. Well, you're probably never going to learn anything because it's the things you may not agree with that are going to challenge you to say, if I don't agree with this, I've got to have a reason that I can give biblically why I disagree with this. I'm going to have to come up with a spiritual foundation to be able to say this guy is wrong and my position's right. And it challenges you to think. And it challenges you to go back in the Word. And so I read people that I may disagree with all the time, but the one thing I know is if that person is a brother of mine in Christ, I'm not going to attack them and tear them down. 
because our unity is not based on agreement. I can guarantee that something I'll say in that this study of the book of Romans where I can only hit the high points, there'll be something you'll disagree with me. That's okay. That's all right. If we keep studying and we keep growing, it's like I tell young couples, if you put Christ here and you both keep growing toward Him, you're going to keep getting closer together, right? And that's the way we want to continue. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit places us into eternal union with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does the work of regeneration. Abbreviating again, Titus 3.5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration. Did, did we get you guys up too early this morning? The washing of regeneration. Who does it? God the Holy Spirit. That's the bath Jesus spoke of in John chapter 13 and verse 10. It cleanses you from top to bottom. It cleanses you of all sin. It removes all condemnation. It places you into that position of perfection in the sight of God. When He sees us, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 and verse 6, we are accepted where? In the Beloved. Accepted in the Beloved. The very first time I went to Australia, I met a lady and she was one of these Christians who's just downbeaten and discouraged and always talking about every, all I do is fail. And I tried to teach Ephesians 1.6. And I said, do you realize that when you trusted Christ, all of your sins, past, present, and future, were taken away. They were all laid on Christ at the cross. You were imputed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, He sees His Son. Now, He's a loving Father, and if we're out of line, He will discipline us. You know, I had a pretty strict dad when I grew up, and he was uh, his discipline was pretty severe, but I can tell you, the Heavenly Father can be more severe. He can be a lot tougher. But He disciplines in love. He disciplines for our benefit that we might be partakers of His righteousness. Regeneration, that's new life. You must be born again, Jesus said to Nicodemus. And then we have indwelling. I should have my lovely assistant up here. You'd be able to read her writing. The Spirit of God takes up permanent indwelling in the life of every believer. We're going to see that in Romans. Romans 8, 9-11. through 11. What does Paul say? If any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. Why? Because the Spirit of God indwells every believer. Not only this, but the Spirit of God gives us a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12.7 To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the benefit of all. You have a gift. Some believe you have one gift. Some believe you have many. I'd be happy if you just find one. Say, how can I find my gift? It's very simple. Do it. I asked my pastor as a young 
Christian, how can I find my spiritual gift? He said, do it. I said, what do you mean? How can I do it if I don't know what it is? He said, start at the bottom and work your way up. Become a servant. Don't try to be the executive of the corporation. Don't try to promote yourself. Don't try to assume a position that you're not ready for. Become a servant. Become humble. Clean the church. Clean the toilets. Carry out the trash. Make yourself useful. As you develop, as you grow, God will promote you into that position that He had for you. And you know, He put me in a position that was the last one I wanted. The day I came to Christ, I said, Lord, I'll do anything You want except. That's always a mistake. I'll do anything You want me to do except. Don't make me a preacher and don't take me to China. And I've done both. That's God's sense of humor. I love this last one. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Paul tells the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, and you, after you heard the word of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know what that seal means? Paul uses it at the end of the book of Romans. He uses it in the same way that you and I use it. We take a letter. We put the letter in the envelope. We lick the seal. We seal the envelope. We put a destination on it, the address, and we call it signed, sealed, and delivered. That's what the word means. It's sfragizo in the Greek, if that makes you feel better. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13, and I'm sorry, 12 and 13. The moment we believe. What can those five things do in your life? Well, number one, you can always realize nothing's going to come between you and the Lord. Because you're not just with Him, you're in Him. And not only are you in Him, He is in you. You have new life. You have new power. Every one of these is talking about something new. Baptism of the Spirit, that's a new position. Regeneration, that's new life. Indwelling, that's new power. Gift, that's new purpose. Sealed, that's a new destiny. You say, I can't remember all that. You have it all in your notes. I do all this work for you. Go to the appendix and you have all of that. But I just put it up here to challenge us as we come now to Romans chapter 8, and I want you to follow me through, to me, the most important verses of Romans 8. I know everybody loves the last part, who can separate us from the uh, love of Christ, neither life nor death, nor principalities, nor powers. That's all great. If you ever get depressed, read Romans 8. But these first verses are vital. Follow me through the first six verses. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
liberation. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and on account of sin, He condemned or He judged sin in the flesh. In whose flesh? Christ. In His human body. Verse 4, that the righteous requirement, notice it's singular, not plural, in the law of Moses, we not only have the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are multiplied into 613 commands. How would you like to have to evaluate every single day if you kept 613 commands? That's what drove the Pharisees crazy. If a chicken lay an egg on, on the Sabbath, you couldn't eat it. That chicken had to work. We've been over in Israel on the Sabbath. Did you know that on the Sabbath, if you get in an elevator, you can't push the button to the floor you want to go to and go to that floor? Because on the Sabbath, the elevators don't work that way. They work automatically to save you the work of pushing the button. The elevator goes to every floor and stops. Every floor and stops. If you're on the 10th floor of the hotel you're staying in, it'll drive you crazy. You might as well go up the stairs. Because pushing that button might be a work. They made a god out of the Sabbath, an idol. The singular that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I know all of you are still back there at the beginning of verse 4 and you're wondering, what is that righteous requirement? I may as well tell you now it's coming up in chapter 13 and verse 8. Oh, no man anything but to love one another. For this is the whole law. He tells us, beginning in verse 8 and running through verse 10, that is the righteous requirement of the law. That's what Jesus said when they asked Him, what is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says love is the fulfillment of the law. We can fulfill that requirement when we do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is your option every day of your life. If you're here as a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, you're secure. You have eternal life. You have a relationship to God the Father. You're a member of the body of Christ. You're a part of the household of God. That's all wonderful. But who wants to stop there? I remember a guy, and he's sitting here in this audience, and he talked about the fact of Christians that like to sit at the foot of the cross and suck their thumb till Jesus comes. My friend Gary Orton. We don't want to stay spiritual infants. We want to grow. We want to mature. We want to play the part that God planned for us as a member of His family. Verse 5 says, for those who live according to the flesh. And I want you to get this because here is the key to everything from Romans 8 to Romans 15. This is the key. Who set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, Paul says, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. How's your mind doing? I used to have a friend that every time I would see him after we'd not seen each other for a while, he would ask me, how's your spiritual life? 
Could I ask you a question if I walked up to you today and said, how's your spiritual life? Could you give me an honest answer? You know what we always do? Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's great. My spiritual life's great. I've known people that have had notebooks full of every doctrine that you could deal with in the entire Bible, and they knew all of it, and they could talk all the jargon, and their spiritual life was as flat as a flat tire and as dead as a skunk in the middle of the road. Dead. No life. No vitality. No peace. No joy. No muscle in their spiritual life. It was all hot air. I know Christians all over the world from China to India to Africa to Latin and South America who know a fraction of what you and I know and their spiritual life is a powerhouse. They're changing their world because of the vitality and the vibrance and the power of their spiritual life. Speaking about India, I'm going to take a little sidetrack here. This is what we call a rabbit trail. It's okay to take a rabbit trail as long as you kill the rabbit. I mentioned last night a persecution in India. I mentioned the little 11-year-old girl whose father and mother were killed and she was terribly burned. And she went back to the village where they had been attacked. It happened during the 2007-2008 attacks in what was then called the state of Orissa, now called the state of Odisha. Let me read you something I just found a couple of days ago. Did you find this? This is interesting. It begins from Romans 12, 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. By the way, wrath of God is one of the strands, one of the themes that runs through the book of Romans that is often not studied. And as I do all your work for you in your appendices, you'll find the wrath of God in the book of Romans. I would encourage you to study it. But here it says, Never take your own wrath. Leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. A journalist by the name of Anto Akara produced a documentary on the breakout of violence against the Christian communities living in the state of Odisha. At that time it was called Orissa located on the eastern side of India in 2007-2008. The violence led by Hindu extremists resulted in the deaths of 100 Christians. I would say probably 10 times that. I think it was more like 1,000. The rape of over 40 women, I would multiply that probably by 10. The burning of nearly 400 churches, 6,500 Christian homes were burned to the ground. In an interview with Christianity Today, Akara revealed the strange things that happened to the 10 men responsible for most of the violence. Starting in 2008, Akara has made 34 trips to the rural Kandhami region where he has filmed four documentaries focusing on how this violence has impacted the victims' lives. In his latest release called The Right Hand of God Over Kandhamo, Akara uncovers the fates of 10 of the assailants who attacked the Christian community and concludes that there has been some sort of divine retribution. Eight of them have died, two by suicide, one in a car crash, one from paralysis, 
Another lost his ability to speak beyond those whose stories he investigated. There are even more of those that were involved in attacking the Christians who say they regret their actions and have now embraced the faith they once tried to banish from Condomal. In Christmas 2009, the government convened a peace meeting between the Christians and the Hindu extremists and activists. During the meeting, a man by the name of Bandev Kanhar, an activist who had vandalized a church in 2007, stood up and said, listen closely, we should not attack Christians. We must live peacefully. Otherwise, God will punish us. Why is this important for you and I? Because we now live under a government that hates us. We live under a government that hates Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're an extremist. You're a terrorist. If you're a parent who cares about the education of your children, you are now on a terror watch list. What shall we do, people say? When shall we rise up? Stand back and let God deal with it. God is about to judge the United States of America, and when that judgment falls, He will know exactly how and when and to whom to apply the judgment. But I say to you, as surely as God judged those who persecuted the Christians in India, He will deal with those in America in His own due time. Give place to God. We're talking here about walking in the Spirit. I want to just refresh your memory if you'll turn back with me to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, we're dealing with sanctification, being set apart to God for His service. Paul asked the question at the beginning of Romans 6, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There are two questions in Romans 6. They're often taken to be the same. They are not the same. In the first verse, the question is, shall we continue in sin? In verse 15, he says, what then shall we continue to sin? Two different questions. One is, are we still slaves of sin? The other is, are we free to sin? He says in verse 2, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, get this, even so we also should, what? Walk in newness of life. He introduced Romans 8 right here in Romans 5. But He's not done. He's going to build more. But the point that he's making here is this. When the Spirit of God baptized us into union with Christ, and I just did a baptism of a wonderful lady that just came to Christ late in life. The other night I have a Friday night Bible class that I teach, and uh, this lady had started coming, and she came to Christ, and she wanted to be baptized, and they had an irrigation ditch nearby, and so we climbed down in that muddy irrigation ditch. Tall lady, and... Boom, down under the water. But you know, I never baptize a person without explaining several things. Number one, this has nothing to do with your salvation. 
This is not giving you eternal life. If you don't have eternal life, you're going down a dry center and you're going to come up a wet center. That's the only difference that's going to be made. This is not securing your salvation. This is not insurance. What is it? It's a memorial. It's saying that the day I trusted in Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit took me and put me on the cross with Christ, buried me in His tomb, and raised me from that tomb with the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the full work of the Lord Jesus Christ was applied to me through the baptism of the Spirit, and that's what Paul's talking about right here. And so he's telling us the results and the effects that this should have in our life. Do you not know that we who are buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Newness of life means life of a new quality. It means a new kind of life. And what is that new kind of life? It's life in the Spirit. It's living the resurrection life of Jesus Christ moment by moment and day by day. Turn over to chapter 7. Uh, a lot of people, by the way, get uh, very strong, and I'm sure some of you have heard this, the outline from Romans 6. Knowing, reckoning, and yielding. You ever heard that? Know, reckon, and yield. You'll see the word knowing in verse 3, verse 6, and verse 9. You see the word reckoning in verse 11, and then you have present or yield down in verse 13. And I've heard pastors say, this is the only way to live the Christian life. You have to know, reckon, and yield. Well, that's true to a degree. To a degree. But let me ask you a question. What if you have all the teaching in the world and you know it and you reckon it to be true and you go out and you're going to apply it and you're trying to apply it in the energy of the flesh? You're wasting your time. Do you know what the follow-up to Romans chapter 6 is? I said this to my son-in-law. He's an Aussie. Has a typical Aussie sense of humor, which means he's twisted. But we were talking about Romans chapter 6, and I said, yeah, Daniel, all you have to do is know the truth, reckon it to be true, and apply it. He said, yeah, how'd that work out for Paul in Romans 7? In Romans 6, Paul's teaching us our potential. In Romans 7, he's teaching us a pitfall that we better watch out for. And then in Romans chapter 8, he's saying, now I'm going to go back and take that truth that I taught you in Romans 6 and tell you how to apply it properly. In Romans chapter 7, you'll notice that Paul tells us in verse 6, we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held in, so that we should serve or walk in the newness of the Spirit. In the newness of the Spirit. We can't walk in the newness of life unless we're walking in the newness of the Spirit. And that yielding or that presenting that he talks about there in Romans chapter 6, the word paristomy is a word that means make yourself available. You don't do it. You don't produce it. You don't make it happen. You make yourself available. Kind of reminds me of what we said earlier when Jesus said in that second rest, take my yoke and learn from me.
yoke up with me. When I was a kid, my dad liked to do everything. We always used to joke and say if there was a hard way to do it, he'd find it. And he used to like to work with teams. And we had teams of mules and teams of horses. And horses and mules are not the same. I have a cowboy friend who actually lives here in Tennessee. He was hoping to join us, but ranch work has kept him too busy. And he said the only good mule is a mule that knows he's a mule and he feels bad about it. He doesn't like mules. Well, if you get good mules, you know, they can be really good. But uh, I think it was Mark Twain who said human nature is like a mule. If he knows what you want him to do, he's going to do the opposite. And that's the way many of us are. We always try to do things the hard way. To walk in the newness of life in the energy of the flesh is impossible. If you're going to teach a young horse, a young mule, to pull a wagon, to pull a plow, to work in harness, you know the best way to do it? Harness them up with a mule or a horse that knows what it's doing. It works with oxen too, although I haven't driven oxen, but I've seen them driven plenty in Africa. Just hook them up with one that knows what it's doing. The one that knows what it's doing is going to do what it's supposed to do, and the other one is going to learn to follow along. We even had a team called Joe and Josephine, great big Belgian workhorses, big, huge animals. Joe and Josephine, my dad said, were a willing team. Josephine was willing to work, and Joe was willing to let her. So we always had to be on Joe to get up and pull a little bit harder. When you and I take on ourselves the yoke of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we begin to enter into the work that He has for us to do, we're going to have to learn to follow. And that yielding and presenting is reliance on what He has made available to us, and that is His Spirit. The Spirit of God dwelling within. My surrender is not here I am, Lord, in all my greatness, in all of my great intellect, in all of my brilliance, and everything that I have to offer you, here I am, now use me. I remember in Bible school we had young budding preachers. You could always tell them they always carried their Bible just so. You know, always dressed with a suit. I was running around in blue jeans and a Levi jacket. These guys would show up every day in a suit. They were always polished shoes. Man, they just looked great, and they always carried their Bible just so, and they learned to speak just right. They had that certain way of talking. You know how I became a preacher? The last thing on earth I ever wanted to do was to have the burden, the weight, the responsibility of standing in front of God's people and opening this book. I tremble today. I never stand up to teach a Bible class without realizing I have no right to stand here. There is nothing in me that is capable of communicating something beneficial to you, and I am under an obligation that is too great for me. And I lay myself before the Lord and I say, my wife will tell you, I was out early this morning, early, early this morning, wrestling with God. It is not something I take lightly. 
It is something I do with fear and trembling. But I rely on the Spirit of God because He alone can take the scrap. I wish I could remember the French phrase. My youngest son taught me a French phrase. It's the only French I know and I can't recall it off the top of my head, but it says, I am a mere scrap of a man. I am a mere scrap of a man. I am weak and frail and foolish. Oh, you're getting up to leave. Gosh, everybody's getting ready to go. Some have fallen asleep. Because I know that only the Spirit of God can do what needs to be done. It's almost time for me to quit. You know how I feel when I go before the Lord? An elementary school teacher wrote a little poem. I'm sure from much experience that she had had. It says, He came to me with a trembling lip. The lesson was done. Have you a new sheet for me, dear teacher? I've spoiled this one. I took his sheet all spoiled and blotted and gave him a new one all unspotted, and into his tired heart I cried, do better now, my child. I went to the Lord with a trembling heart. The day was done. Have you a new day for me, dear Lord? I've spoiled this one. He took my day all soiled and blotted. He gave me a new one all unspotted, and into my tired heart he cried, do better now, my child. I think that's a good place to stop. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are that You give us morning by morning new mercies to see. Great is Thy faithfulness. Father, bless Your Word through my stumbling tongue. Drive it deep into the hearts and souls of those who are hungry and receptive and let it have a transforming power in their life. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.